Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name is Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from reInvent International's Helen Oro, DR Sales Nomi Ferrer, Echo Rights Nicholas Soderland, and Wiley's Maria Kivinen about the latest challenges and opportunities facing the Nordic distribution business as part of C21's Content Nordics On Demand. C21's Content Nordics On Demand wrapped last week, a virtual event exploring the TV production, broadcast, streaming and distribution sectors across the region through a series of one-on-one interviews, panel discussions and programme premieres. Leading distributors discussed the latest local and international trends, challenges and opportunities in the market, including the continued success of non-English language scripted and non-scripted content travelling across the globe. Reinvent International Sales and Marketing Director Helen Oro, DR Sales Executive Director Naomi Ferrer, Echo Rights Managing Partner Nicola Soderland, and Wiley Sales Manager Maria Kivinen spoke to Ed Waller. I couldn't really start a session like this without mentioning the events of the past 12 months or so. So I'm going to ask uh, each of the panels just to give us uh, some insights and initial thoughts about how the Nordic industry has changed over the past year, in particular the distribution sector. And I'm going to start with you, Nicola, because in our in our chat before this session, you said to me that Q1 of this year was your most successful quarter ever. So I'd like you just to weave that into your response, if you would. Yeah, so, uh, obviously the pandemic has stopped the halted production all over the world, more or less to some extent, more or less in different countries. So that means that after a while, the, the TV stations and the streamers, they were screaming for content because they couldn't fill the gaps in their grids. And so it's been a fantastic year to be a distributor. Some in our society has been suffering a lot from from the pandemic, but we have been actually been very, very fortunate to be in the sector which runs really well. So it's been amazing last six months, I would say for us. Best ever. Now, Helen, uh, you said that there was, uh, in our chat before this, you said there was rising demand for finished tape. So maybe you you would echo... uh... Nicola's uh, comments about a fantastic year. Yes, I must say that uh, up till now, uh, it has been very, very busy uh, due to the, of course, to the COVID uh, and the last 12 months. But it's also because we now see that there are a lot of players uh, popping up in various countries, a lot of new streamers in different countries. So I must say that, I mean, the year's not gone yet, but uh, it has been very busy up till now. And Nomi, how about you? What are your reflections on uh, the tumultuous last 12 months? Yeah, I think it's boring to repeat what the others have said, but it's been extremely busy. I think after the first shock about events not taking place physically, um, everybody adapted super quickly to the new digital format. Um, and in a sense, maybe we could talk about this later, it's even more effective. Um, so I think we have not really, we've been impacted in other ways. I think it's just accelerated um, certain developments. So Excellent. And Maria, what are your thoughts on how the distribution market has adapted to the events of the last year? I mean, uh, this has been a very exceptional year because usually the beginning of the year, January, February are quiet. But this year, it has been everything but quite right from the very start. We've been incredibly busy and there's been a huge uh, demand for for Nordic uh, content. And I think it's also changing the rhythm because we don't no longer have to wait, wait for a specific event, but when, sh- when the show is ready, we can right away pitch the, the clients with whom we've become even closer to during the, the past year. 
Now, how much of this, this is obviously a, a busy time uh, for, for those in the distribution game as, as the production lockdowns impacted uh, availability of new programming. Obviously, that, uh, that led to a bit of a spike in terms of the distribution business. But in your sort of breakdown of that growth, how much of, it is, how much of that growth is due to the production freeze, i.e. a short-term thing, on how much of it is due to the other events of last year, which are you know about the the growth in the number of streamers, the, the, the you know the, the, all the US studios moving into streaming, which is a much seems to be a much more long term trend. So maybe that maybe we we can look at that spike and trying to break it down into sort of the the causes. Nicola, what are your what are your thoughts on that? I think we still haven't seen the impact of the influence of the streamers yet to the extent that will be in the coming years. They've just started, basically. I mean, HBO Max, Paramount Plus, and, and Disney Plus, et cetera, et cetera. They have just started the commission. And I think in a couple of years' time, we will see a much bigger influence of, from them. But on the other hand, as Helen said also, I mean, we have all these new regional streamers coming in as well. So it's it, plus, of course, the regular free TV stations and, and, you know, they will also, everybody is there for content. So I think being a producer the coming years must be, will be fantastic. So I think it's hard to, to say how much, you know, how much because of the pandemic and how much because of the, the you know, the, the streamers. I think so far, I, to, what I think is the impact has mostly become from the, the pandemic so far. But of course, the coming years, it will be totally, you know, new landscape and all the streamers will, come, will be launching in, in Europe. Helen, what are your thoughts? Well, I actually think it's a bit of both. Uh, we have had a number of buyers uh, contacting us because they urgently needed something else because they had a production freeze. And uh, the series that we were doing, they were not stopped. Uh, we've been filming in, in Norway and some in Sweden and also here in Denmark. They were actually just finished. So a number of buyers saying uh, they needed something urgently, either new series or they would also buy catalog. And then it's also because of the boom in, in the in the streamers. But I, so I think it may be half half. But as Nicola said, I don't think we have seen uh, the latest boom yet. Uh, it, of course, the pandemic plays a great role here as well. Maria, what are your reflections on on, on this? I mean, I think also both, but but more because of the boom of the streamers and the need to secure for the for the territory, because now there's so many more players in each territory. So for the streamer to wanting to secure the rights even before the show is ready has something that's been occurring the past the past year. So I think it's more due to a boom of the new streamers. Yeah, Naomi, anything to add on this? It seems uh, it seems we're in agreement that there's. 50-50 or half and half, but maybe you've got a different view. I do think that um, the production freeze meant quite a bit for um, European TV series. Um, when I talk about production freeze, the US, um, but also the UK, I think uh, think that has impacted us more than we think. So I would actually tend to say that was more. Um, but I do think as well that when we're talking streamers, um, we always think um, about the big ones. And then what I think is super interesting is the advent of what we would call like regional streamers, like um, um, streamers that come from countries or um, like an aggregation of countries or the service uh, a certain region. And I think that has been super interesting for us. Uh, so when we saw, uh, so 
there has been a lot of interest uh, in catalog titles to replace the same as Elena said, um, the kind of um, the, the direness of uh, lack, lack of content because nothing was ready from in English speaking territories. But then we have also seen a huge amount of interest coming from simply just new players emerging. And I agree with Nicola there. I think we haven't seen uh, we haven't seen anything yet. It's going to become even more diverse. I think that's a, a really interesting point. I mean, the everyone talks about these global streamers, you know, and obviously. We've got the likes of Netflix and all those guys that have, have come into the Nordic market and, and around the world. But one of the big trends that I, that I think is perhaps equally interesting is this sort of all these new regional and local SVODs around the world, which is, in my mind, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it gives you, gives you as distributors much more opportunities to sew together different co-productions rather than just sort of handing over a show in its entirety, all rights in perpetuity to you know, one of these global streamers, you can sort of weave together some of these different co-productions, uh, you know, with, with windowing between the two or, or, you know, because they, they live in different territories. I mean, I know that, Maria, you've done some of this with, with Wiley. I think Wiley's doing a lot of co-productions uh, uh, with people like Topic in the States. Maybe you can give us some of the, your, you know, examples of that and, and talk us through how that might work. Absolutely. And what's been also fascinating uh, that we've, for the first time before, it was usually the primetime drama where a streamer wanted to step in early and develop the show together. But actually, in the, at, at this point with, with Topic, we've had our drama series, but also factual uh, series where they've been very much involved also creatively uh, and also um, uh, commenting on things like diversity. And uh, and actually, the, the content has evolved uh Thanks for the streamer to being uh, being part of the of, of of the production. So absolutely, it's um uh, it's a it's a it's a completely new cooperation that we haven't worked uh, before. What are the shows? I think I think there's a title called Peacemaker. I think that you're doing with Topic. Is that something? Uh, actually, Peace of My Heart. Uh, Peacemaker is with Reinvent. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, Peace of My Heart, uh, which we've just launched uh, this March. Uh, it's um it's a it's a, a pre-bought by. By topic, they uh, stepped in quite in the beginning of of the making of the show. And how does the how does the rights break down? The, you know, the, the conversation over rights. How does that work? Well, actually, because because topic is is just in the US, uh, so it's it's been perfect that they've just secured the the US and the North American rights um, uh, by by uh, pre buying the the show. So and and also it will be a topic original in their territory, but otherwise we still have a free. Uh, free territories almost worldwide to sell to sell it to. Excellent. And uh, and and Helen, we mentioned Peacemaker just now. Tell us about that deal. That sounds uh, is it along a similar model or a different model? No, they they bought Peacemaker. It was also at an early stage, but as far as I remember, it was uh, it's a normal sale. It's not as a, a co-production as such. Uh, but it is true that most of the buyers, streamers, and broadcasters they come in very very early at the moment, and it's because the, there's also big competition. So Either they come in when we have not even started production, so uh, just before production, or it can be during or when we only have some of the episodes to show. So I we do see a willingness to jump in very early. Uh, sometimes it's just a, a pre-sale, other times it can be co-producing it. Uh, but I think that's um, a trend in general, that more and more of them, they come in early. Excellent. Now, um, Nicola, when we had a chat before this, you, you spoke about 
unusual collaborations between streamers? Are we getting into a world where these regional and local streamers are sort of setting up formal co-production alliances in the same way that, you know, N12 or the Alliance in Europe? Is, is that sort of, are we getting into a world where, where these regional streamers are uh, co-producing together and, and picking up projects on, that, on that, that, that basis? Absolutely, absolutely. And as Helen said, you know, we are, as a distributor, our, our business has changed a lot over the last years, I would say, because we are now, as Helen said, in, into the project at the much earlier stage. So it's all about the financing. Basically, we need to find the money because the gaps have been, you know, ambition level has gone up, which means also that, you know, the contribution from the locals, local TV station is, is lower so that we need to find the, the money outside. And that's what I'm doing all the time now. It's actually to chase money to, to get the healthy finance plan in, in place so that we can do that. And the, the local streamers, that you, the regional streamers that you talked about, they are playing a very important part because... As we said before, we don't want to sell off all the rights in one place oof, and they take everything, you know, the big, the big streamers. I think in the near future, with the increase in competition, there will be much more you know, flexibility from all, all parties. You know, that's, you know, the broadcasters also have their own you know, SVODs. They have to be more flexible to allow other windows to, to short, after maybe a shorter time. The big, the big streamers, they have to be also be more flexible to make deals where, you know, you can have more parties involved in, in, in the co-production or in the production or the financing of the series. So that's, that's our, our reality these days. That's what basically, I think we all do this more or less here. Nomi, what are your experiences or thoughts on sort of the, the new era of, of co-production in this sort of uh, streaming world that we now live in? I think in terms of co-production, it depends on the content that you have. Um, uh, the, the risk, like how early they want to go in is, I think, quite dependent on if it is crime or not, or something similar to crime. I think there are some other genres that um, they will wait longer, but I agree with uh, Helena that um, it is enough to screen some of it instead of seeing the whole series simply because of competition. Um, in terms of exclusivity, non-exclusivity, I think it's going to be really interesting times because right now you can really play around with uh, um, mapping out those territories and doing deals that almost like a mosaic um, fall together also when you're selling. just uh, um, And that, that is super interesting because you can play around. And I actually think it's quite interesting that some models that we're seeing where we might have an S-Watch um, that has the premiere and they're doing a terrific amount of work with a product. And then um, because um, like F-Watch know this, they are actually interested in a deal later on because like this, they can uh, the, the audience can pick it up there. And we've seen this a couple of times, which reminds me a lot of the old window models that we had with, uh, with uh, features, you know, when you had uh, the whole thing about um, going out uh, on cinema and the exclusivity about that. And then going on. So I think that is interesting because certain things emulated. I agree as well with Nicola about the financing because it is really interesting and it's the same as features. In certain countries, 10 years ago, it was super easy to finance um, and it has become really difficult and like takes a lot of work of the producers. And the same has happened with TV players. Like right now, um, either you go into a deal with a streamer and then you know what kind of product you're going to be working on um, or if you really want to be keeping your rights you're going into a uh, really tough financing uh, models uh, but i'm really curious about uh, this whole uh, non-exclusivity because i'm really wondering when it's going to stop because at some point yeah. uh, you need to give yourself a brand uh, and so when are we going to see that again where the non-exclusivity that right now seems to be okay for a lot of deals 
goes back into um, you know hot money for exclusivity. Um, yeah. Well, that's something maybe the panel can answer because one of the things that seems to have happened over the over the last year during during the lockdown period uh, is that exclusivity seems to have become less important and, and more companies are doing co-exclusive, non-exclusive deals where platforms, even competing platforms, share content. Um, and is that just a reaction to the scarcity of new content that came about because of COVID? Uh, or is it something that is going to become endemic to the sort of the streaming landscape where you reach uh, one audience on one platform in one window, but simultaneously a different audience on another platform at the same time? I mean, I mean, this, this seems to be uh, something that is a, goes back to the beginning of the, the question here. Is it to do with COVID or is it to do with streaming? You know, And I, when we were talking earlier, Maria, you said that, you know, you, this co-exclusive sort of model seems to be based on that. You know, you can reach a different audience on the, at the same time on a different platform, and both platforms seem to be happy with that. Is that is that something that is going to become uh, a, an ongoing trend, or is it just a short-term thing? Absolutely, especially when there is the pay TV or SVOD where you have paying subscribers and then free TV. I mean, I, I found that when you first get the show to the either pay TV or SVOD in the territory, then it's very easy after finding a window to also then sell the show to a free uh, TV, of course, but with, with, a, with a, uh, a, a lesser fee. Um, uh, but, um, but really, I found it in lately that you can really use the show in the territory much more than before, whereas thinking of a few years back, I remember when the show was sold in one territory to one channel, it was it was more that that then that territory was done. But then also what is very interesting, I think, with when with speaking of different territories, such as for example, South America, there I think it's been even longer time that because of the dubbing that you sell to one uh, country in the region, then you have the dubs and then you sell it through in the whole uh, region the same show and there I found even in that territory even even more common than non than non exclusivity than in other territories so I think abs- absolutely that uh, yeah. Helen what are your what are your experiences with doing non exclusive or co exclusive deals well, are they something you're embracing yes uh, but I think it really depends on uh, which kind of show you have if it's a new show it's the whole windowing that's different and that has changed within the last years. Uh, it is true in the past you would sort of sell off a territory and the various rights, where now the windows are so short that you still give other broadcasters or streamers exclusivity, but in they might get three to six months and then you swap and then you can have a black window and then you can swap back. Um, I think if, if it's a new title, that's maybe how you do it or also in order to do your financing. Or at least that's what we have seen here with the new series that we are presenting. But if it's library titles, it's different because there you can sort of go on, sell on a non-exclusive basis to more uh, in the same territory. And again, uh, some of them, they don't mind if it's on the same streamers, but you will still see that some do. And I still find that uh, a lot of broadcasters and streamers, of course, if they are the main financiers of a series, then they will want some sort of exclusivity. If not, they're not going to pay the amount of money normally that you need to do the financing. But the windowing and the swapping, has uh, there's much more flexibility in that now than a few years ago. Nicola, your, your thoughts on this exclusive window model? Because uh, we spoke earlier about the sort of the, the rise of co- co-exclusive windows, but it, it seems that, you know, we might, you know, 
Is that does that apply to all platforms or just certain ones? It, it, and it varies a lot between the countries as well. I think you know, for instance, and we, as you said before, we're owned by a Korean company, and in Korea, and I think this is quite interesting because in many ways they're much more advanced market than we are. Then the first window is with the free TV. And then all the escorts get non-exclusive rights. So they all have the same output. That's, <laughs> it sounds weird to us, but that's actually how it is. And uh, so I think, I mean, so there are many ways to deal with this. And, but I agree with, with, with Ellen that, you know, uh, of course, if, you know, somebody has contributed massively with the, with the financing we show, they want to have an exclusive window. Of course, and we in our in, it lies in our interest to make that as short as possible. Of course, so we so we can sell it to other other uh, parties in the region or in the country. I mean, it sounds like the whole windowing situation is becoming much more. You could call it sophisticated, but I might call it complicated. It sounds like it's becoming um, you know very very complicated. Add to that that and factor in the fact that all of your traditional broadcast clients are now all wanting OTT rights as well, because they've launched their own uh, streaming service, whether it's free or, or subscription. I mean, I mean, how does that change the market? Just, I mean, Nicola, I'm going to come back to you because we discussed this earlier. You, know, the, you said it becomes increasingly complicated when all of your clients are now all in the same space. They're all looking for the same rights. There's, there's not this sort of, nobody's staying in lane anymore. You know what I mean? No, you're absolutely right. But it all depends on how much they're contributing with the, with the financing of the series. You know, if you are, if you put in a lot of money to it, of course, we will grant them certain rights. If it's lesser, then we can be much more flexible. That's that's what it's about the money. It's as easy as that. Yeah. Helen, are you going to say something? No, he said it. Money talks. Money that's talks. Fair. Yeah. yeah. So, of course, the more the bigger financier you are, the more exclusivity you can get. And it's then our job to try to keep them as short as possible so you, we can get more financiers on board. Naomi, I hope that uh, answered your question. Does, does that uh, answer your question? Oh, it wasn't really a question. I, I still think that when you're going out to certain territories right now, there, there is a possibility to play around quite a bit uh, with co-exclusivity. So I was not uh, talking so much about the financing aspect, but more about the selling aspect, where um, the question is, when when are we going to have a situation to the point? When, when is it no longer enough to have so much content on your um, SMOT or your effort? Uh, when is it, again, much more about the profiling and how boutique you are or to find the exact audience? And uh, how do you, you know, attract those that right now might get sick and tired uh, in terms of being viewers? of uh, just more or less finding the same content everywhere and no longer having tailor-made content for you. Because uh, I think there is, a, there is a dearth of that right now. Anyway, I, I'm going to come back to you on this, Naomi, because when we spoke earlier, you, in the context of uh, streaming and, and all of this sharing of content, you spoke, you spoke about the, the forces of homogenization in a kind of dark way uh, and how we need to sort of fight against this. And, and I guess this ties in a little bit with what uh, Nicola was saying about certain markets where everyone just shares content and what, what do you mean by the, the, the forces of homogenization and uh, what are we doing to, to, to fight them? Well, I, I just wondered a bit because um, when, when I was looking at uh, some of the questions that you sent um, here before during the day, there's one that is uh, about the consolidation of the Nordic market in terms of production. And uh, it's becoming quite clear that there are both uh, Nordic uh, big companies, but also a lot of foreign companies that are investing heavily, of course, in those content users. Um, and it's, it's a question, so it's, I don't have the answer to this, but 
if um, normally um, the force between the production and the sales agent is, is the production wants to withhold a bit of the influence because they want to create a unique content. So not, not often producers are that happy, um, especially in kind of vertically integrated companies about the influence um, of all the comments given to make, uh, you know, uh, shows more universal and get the stuff out that might be tricky because then you cannot sell. If the constellations you have in the Nordic countries are becoming more and more, uh, there's so many that are vertically integrated now where um, there is a foreign uh, investor that holds a lot of, like more than 50% of the ownership. And if that owner is a sales agent um, or a big TV station, so what does it do to the content? And it's just a question. Um, isn't the wish of the owner uh, that on one hand, there's a lot of production going on, but on the other hand, that it fulfills what the sales agents want in terms of sellable content? And I just wonder if uh, because of this consolidation, uh, we're going to see more and more, not the global content that everybody's been talking about the last years, but more something that is becoming more unified and becomes it starts looking more and more the same because this, this is what everybody thinks viewers want. It's just a question. That's a good question. You know, the the the, the downside of consolidation is something that uh, is is worth exploring. I mean, what does the panel think about that? Does the fact that the the, the so many Nordic production companies are owned by non-Nordic studios from America or other parts of Europe is that is that making us? making you guys your jobs more difficult, not just in terms of sourcing that content, but the kind of content that's being produced, as Naomi says. What are your thoughts on that, Nicola? Yeah, I think it's both ways. I think, in uh, of course, it makes it more difficult because all the, you know, all the rights are taken by them and there will be less content available for us as independent distributors, like reInvent and us. You know, it's harder to find if everything already belongs to the, these big super Indians. But on the other hand, which I find very interesting, is that the producers of the super indies, you know, like in Sweden, they come to us because they are so dissatisfied with what their, you know, the sales offices in London or Paris or whatever it is. They don't take it because they just come a little small piece in, you know, a catalog, which is huge. And they don't, they don't feel that they give, get enough, you know, attention to their shows. So they're basically quite frustrated and they want us to take it. So they are fighting with their superiors for us to get the distribution rights. So this happens a lot, more and more. So I think, I mean, big is not good in this in this business. I don't believe in big. I don't think it's a good thing. I don't think the super indies will be healthy companies the coming years. I think what we will see is breakouts of producers who are not happy working in this kind of, how do you say, you know, corporate environment. They want to break out and start their own production companies where they're much creatively, you know, creatively much more, independent that they can do whatever they want and also so so i think it's it, it it going to be very interesting to see what happens the coming years actually helen you were going to say something on this too yes but now i i just needed to go back because you i think uh but it, naomi you asked the question actually you said uh, will all the shows look the same and nothing would be special and that i don't think is correct i think you're still producing for either broadcast or streamer and they know exactly what they're looking for 
And I don't think they all look for the same. I mean, that's when they come in and do the originals. So everything and all the production companies are producing for one of these players. And I think they're still looking for very local content. I mean, look at what's being produced for TV2. I mean, look what's being produced for C and also for, for Wireplay or Disney. I mean, it's not one big, all the same. I think they all know what they're looking for and the stories are still very local. And I think we have the we have all the foreign companies coming in and the sales agents actually looking for the Nordic content because it is sellable, but it's not sellable because it looks the same as the big American shows or the UK show. It has something different. And now there is many, many viewers out there who actually want to see it and they see that non-English shows work as well. So I think it's more being, um, it's just another it's something else that you have. And yes, we are specialized in the Nordics. We're here. We know what it stands for. So I think that's also why we see a lot of production companies coming back and saying, can you take our little baby out there? Because we know they're special. We know they can sell. We know where they can sell. Um, but I don't think it will all look the same. I think each broadcast and streamer is trying to be as unique as they've always tried. And everybody is still trying to make the new Bogen or the new something else the killing. I mean, DR has been, I mean, producing some of the most fascinating shows ever. And I assume they still will. Nicola, you had your finger up there. Right? Yeah, no, I just want to, because I, what I think is the, the big contribution from the streamers is actually that they are widening you know the 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 the, the genres that they produce. I mean, it could be you know YA, for instance, for young adult shows, is very very much in demand from the streamers, and that is a completely new genre. I would say from that was not we could not sell it as much as before to to the regular free TV stations as we can now. So the, I think the diversity has also increased with the with the entry of these streamers. Yeah. I, I don't. I, I think no way. I don't think it's that's the problem for our business right now. Maria, what are your thoughts on this? Is homogenization of content, the consolidation is is it causing you problems in terms of your supply lines of programming that you need that you need to sell around the world? I mean, I think always the whole key of Nordic content has been that it's very local, it's unique, and each each show is really, really authentic to its its world and it's really the the world that that is dark, that is, has the internal characters instead of the, the kind of glossy, the out, the very outlooking um, characters. And I think um, even, even when there will be, uh, no matter big players, or it, it's always, I think always each Nordic story will always be unique and always, uh, it will always be small, whether, uh, whether it's, um, distributed by a bigger company or but it's always um it's it's always uh local and it will become global um by each each kind of journey that each will each uh, show will take but um i i always think that it, it always each show will always look different and there'll be uh to nordic content they'll never happen like even though it is a big brand that started from the Nordic noir, but it's evolving, like like Nikos, like the, the for the young adult um, content, and you'll always you'll always evolve and 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 grow, but always each show will be always authentic to and, and small to its uh, local territory, to its local origin. I've got a I've got a question for for Nomi. Um, I mean, if if this homogenization that you've, you you suggest is is happening, and this consolidation is making uh, 
availability of, of, of programming slightly difficult, as Nicola su suggested. Is there an argument to diversify out of Nordic programming? I noticed that of the panel, uh, I think three of you all focus on Nordic content and, and Nicola has Nordic as well as Turkish and Korean and other programming. Is, is there, is, what are the pros and cons of, of diversifying out of Nordic content and, and, and getting some other kind of content to, to cater to the market in that way, Nomi? Um, first of all, I still think I have a point there because if you look at where the really um, kind of cutting edge content comes from, it is, um, it is very often Kind of public service TV stations, and uh, not only the R, but I'm just thinking about, for example, the BBC with feedback. I mean, where would you be able to have something like that? And this is where the originality comes from. And we are looking at some of the most interesting series that have been kickstarting events uh, like trends. Then it is, it is, it is uh, a place like that. And when you're looking at a content that where a certain language is spoken, um, but it could, it's taking place in a place. It could be Sweden, it could be Finland, it could be Spain, could also be Brazil. And it, so it's no longer local. It's more like unilocal. It is as a local flavor, but in the end, it place somewhere else um and that that is what i think is just i've been observing quite a bit um um what was the second question sorry <laughs> whether whether that whether the argument that you're presenting is a justification oh, yeah. for moving out and diversifying into non-nordic programming no we have been um, thinking about this and because we have been presented with super interesting content coming from other countries um, especially Germany, I must say. And uh, we have decided that it's just such a distinctive brand that we have uh, at Denmark's radio, um, at DR Sales, that, of course, apart from selling our own content, we just have the Nordics um, full stop. It wouldn't make any sense for us to take anything else in because I also still think if you're a buyer, um, I, I think you know what you what we stand for, and it would just confuse them. So I think I'd rather keep it. We'd like to keep it like that. Helen, what are your thoughts? Because obviously, as Nicola said, the, the, the advent of streaming is is stimulating the demand for non-English language programming around the world, and and uh, we heard earlier about consolidation and the the challenge that presents to the supply of Nordic programming. Why don't you branch out into other kinds of programming and not just Nordics? Well, I think because when you say Nordics, is actually quite a number of countries. It's not just Danish. Uh, we represent shows from all the Nordic countries and uh, we also have feature films. So our business plan is actually to stick to the Nordics and to make a cross between films and series and sell that. And for us to go, I mean, the shows can still be in English, but they need... Um, they need uh, an anchor uh, here in the Nordic somehow. It can be the script, it can be whatever. But we wouldn't take in a Korean show, for instance. We, I mean, I'm sure Nicola, he has the expertise of, of selling that. We don't. We have an expertise in the Nordic productions. And uh, I think we will just stick to that. And as we represent so many series from these many countries, I mean, there's plenty to, to look at. And also, when you also have to feature films, it's like the kind content becomes, you know, there's quite a lot to to sell abroad. Okay. Um, something we touched on earlier, Nicola, is uh, the sort of the, the quotas in Europe and the opportunities that they present, the, the local content quotas that are being applied to new streaming services in, in Europe. Um, I just want to bring that in because obviously there's 
this whole talk about globalization of TV and the, the launch of all these global streamers, as Maria said earlier, it's stimulated demand for local programming because each of those services need local content. Are we, are we sort of seeing a, a sort of a, a major trend in the market where, you know, the sort of demand for American programming, for instance, is being replaced by demand for European programming and these quotas are going to help stimulate that. The fact that the US studios are taking their American shows off the market to feed their own streamers has created a bit of a, a, a vacuum for companies like yours to, to move into. What, 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 what do you see the opportunities, Nicola, with those, those, those quotas? Yeah, I, I totally, I totally, you know, the, the quotas will be a blessing for the European producers, obviously, because the streamers and everybody has to have European content. And I know that, you know, the, the new American streamers, when they are launching, they are desperate to get European content because they need that, because sooner or later that will really kick in the quotas full, to, to full extent. And so for us, it's been, you know, to, to have all these legs to stand on has been very, very good because, you know, when there was a shortage there of, of output, then we could sell content from other countries, from Korea and from Turkey, for instance. When that goes down, when Latin America is not buying very much anymore because it used to be a very big market for us, now it's gone down, then we can sell to other markets. So this flexibility that we have, and we are quite, how would I say, you know, agile, we can, you know, move, move quite quickly in the different demands and genres and countries. So that's been, I think, the key behind our success that we've been so adaptable in what's happening in the market. So for us, that's been yeah, the key, basically. Maria, what are your thoughts on this issue of diversifying out of Nordic content, filling a, a demand for this sort of uh, European content that is going to be uh, very prevalent in Europe. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it's it's definitely diversifying. And what's really also interesting, where I found the interest on on remakes from from Nordic content by different uh, European uh, broadcasters, and and really making um, an, a local idea uh, then uh, local in for for the. For the, for the for the country that we see not only uh, European content but also European content that are also remakes of of Nordic content. Ooh, okay, Nomi, over to you. I just want to hear what you have to say about this sort of, uh, you know, this demand for European programming because uh, the the American studios are, are taking their, their their content and keeping it for their own services. Is that creating space for for third party distribution companies like yourselves? Yes, in a sense, uh, that means that um, we are also being approached uh, by other um, by other content providers um, that need to, you know, offer something uh, different, which I think is interesting. Um, again, this is why I'm going back to those regional um, platforms that are really um, know their audiences extremely well and know exactly the kind of content that makes them profile themselves against the bigger ones. So, in that sense, I see it in a positive way, actually that uh, they are keeping the content for themselves and thus giving us the possibility to sell in into those slots uh, that would have been occupied. What I also see, and this is just not so much the sales agent perspective, I see it also as a public broadcaster perspective, that there are um, slots that have been super interesting um, for uh, in terms of, for example, family entertainment that are now going to be emptied. And that creates, of course, the need for more content. And that is something that is going to be fulfilled in-house, I think, especially public broadcasters, 
but also something, of course, that the industry is going to be invited to join in. And that is super interesting. So basically, by um, keeping their content for themselves, they are actually um, giving the uh, audiences in Europe the possibility of maybe then finding other um, local, uh, national content uh, in the slots that are occupied by them in the different kind of both public but also private uh, TV stations. So it sounds like a, a good time to be uh, in, in the distribution business, not just because of the, the shortage of content because of the events of last year, but more in a more permanent way that this move to streaming and the multiplication of streaming platforms is, is creating much, much greater demand for more diverse content. Um, and, 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 and that seems to be a much more permanent sort of a change in the market. But I just want to, we're getting towards the end of the session here, but I just want to finish up by asking the panel, you know, just to reflect on, on, on the, the last year and, and of all the changes that, that the last 12 months has brought about for your business, whether it's to do with lockdown, streaming, the growth of regional SVODs, all, all the rest of it. Um, uh, how, which ones do you think we will, we will retain after lockdown? And, you know, we, we spoke at the very beginning about the sort of selling via Zoom. Um, and, I, and, I, and I think that you guys have sort of endured a year where you haven't been able to go to events and, and physical markets and so you've had to sort of, I guess, beef up your, your digital sales techniques and strategies. And in terms of, you know, sort of flying to all these parts of the world, that, that we haven't been doing that. As, as lockdown recedes and we get back to some kind of normality, what do you think we will keep from this, this sort of this period, this strange period of the last 12 months? Uh, obviously, it's, there's arguments about efficiency of sales, but obviously there's arguments about the personal tap. So I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask Nomi since you raised this at the beginning. You know, are you, are, if we go back to norm, normality, are you still gonna do sales over Zoom and digital marketing and this kind of thing? I think uh, what we're doing right now is we're observing what's going to happen. I mean, the next big test is going to be Nipcom. Um, so I think everybody is uh, on a wait and see. Um, how many buyers are going to show up there. Um, if it's not this year, it's going to be next year uh, when all the vaccines hopefully um, have been in, introduced in all the countries. Um, for us, I do think is you can do business um, digitally, but um, to reinforce relationships, um, you will probably go and try to do that physically. Also, if you're starting a new business, it is, I mean, it's possible. We've all done it um, this year. You can you can sell without knowing people and you can acquire films without knowing people and companies. Um, but I think to establish long-term relationships where the nuances are going to be even more important, um, it's going to be, you know, uh, reinforcing the digital with physical in that sense. Maria, what are your thoughts on the... Uh... The elements of the last uh, 12 months, the, the, the strategies that distribution companies have had to, to employ, which ones do you think we'll keep in the long term? I mean, I think the past 12 months have definitely um, made us more creative by 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 um, because we're missing the, the personal meetings, the, the the energy to really bring that to digital. For example, for our series piece of my heart, like we've been I've been interviewing the director to open up its mystery genre so that we can convey that uh, that personal detail, especially the talent, because to the market would bring the talent. And now we can't do that to really bring that the energy digitally to so that because it's 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 harder when you don't you you have so many less tools uh, digitally and to to recreate them so that um so that when we go to hopefully when we go to to physical so that if for example if MIPCON will be physically happening but then there won't be that many buyers we would still have the tools that those buyers we would usually meet. 
um, anyway, we would we would um, find a digital way of 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 then meeting after the market or or before and and something also that's that's been happening before. We used to have all been focused to just those couple of days events, but now it has expanded so that, for example, now there was Meet TV wasn't just for one week; it was almost for the entire April. So I think that's something that will stay. So that when there'll be a market, those are hopefully will be as many as possible physically present, so that we will be able to to meet personally and to bring talents to 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 the pitching, to to clients, but also being more more creative to to using all the tools uh, digitally as well. Nicola, how, how how do you think your uh, your sales strategy has been permanently changed by uh, by the events of the last twelve months? Are you going to still be flying on planes and that kind of thing? Or are you going to stick to Zoom? I hope I will, because that's part of the business that we really like. I think it's the same for all of us. To meet people in person, you become, you become like friends with the people that you are, you sell to, that you deal with. So that's, that's such a you know in, nice part of our business. But from speaking from an efficiency, I think these Zoom meetings are fantastic. You know, you can be so much more efficient with it. They are not good to create new relationship, not as good as, you know, the physical meetings, because as as you said there, the, you know the, the there's you, you have to build the trust. You have to build, you know, to, you know it's another thing. It's not you, this. The screen doesn't tell everything. There's a filter in the screen. You know? So I, I I do believe that you know the physical meetings will be very important for to get new acquaintances, to get new relationships. But to keep old ones, this perfect, you know, so efficient, you know. Boom, boom, boom. It's whatever, you know. I mean, it's good, it's good for certain things, but surely creative conversations about development of a project or, as you mentioned earlier, Nicola, the financial conversations, is, is Zoom good for that? Yeah. 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 Excellent. Yeah, actually, I'm surprised how well it works, actually. <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, so it will be a mix of both. But I think we learned something from the pandemic, really, how to be more efficient. And Last word to you, Helen. What, what are your what are your thoughts on uh, going back to to normal, you know, ways of doing business? Uh, I can't wait. <laughs> I mean, I think this is totally very agile and efficient. But I, I mean, the, the whole team here, we're just standing waiting for the world to open again. And I think we'll we'll probably all be back at the markets. But what I because we need to build the long term relationships and the trust and the new relations. Um, but it's true. We can do it. And I think most sales agents, we have always had to be very efficient and agile and change because we never know where the wind is going and, and where the business is going. So this was just a part of it. Uh, but what I do think is that the markets will last longer and we don't have to wait for a specific uh, market to launch. I think we will use the whole year in a better way. But just imagine how much we have been able to sell now during the pandemic. And still there's been a number of clients who are maybe not working as many days or hours and are not on. So imagine what it will be like when the world opens and we'll meet again. Then I can just see the whole thing, you know, exploding more. I mean, it will, they will need even more content because, and there will be even more people to talk to and sell to. So yes, we are definitely looking to, to come back to the markets and festivals. Helen Oro. Naomi Farah, Nicola Soderland and Maria Kivinen speaking with Ed Waller as part of C21's Content Nordics On Demand. Video versions of all the sessions are available on c21media.net if you're a pro subscriber and there'll be more from the event in the podcast tomorrow. But in the meantime, stay safe and up to date 
with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening.